All right, good morning. Um, let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear God, we come to you today in the midst of this season of uncertainty. And we ask that you would take our fears, you would take our anxieties, our unanswered questions, our sorrow, and you would speak to us through your word. You've told us that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word never will. And so please help us today to listen to you. Help us to turn to you. Help us to cling to your faithful promises, to trust you. Help us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, good morning. Um, Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. I'm going to go ahead and read those right now. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded On the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. And not as their scribes. So today we come to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. The conclusion of the greatest sermon ever preached. And Jesus ends his sermon with a series of warnings. The last few weeks... Uh, we've been looking at these warnings. Two weeks ago, Paxuparno covered the warning against false prophets in chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. And then last week, Yusuf looked at the warning against false professions of faith in verses 21 to 23. And now, depending on what translation you're, you're using, uh, the, the NIV and the NASB, they say in verse 24, Therefore, everyone, the ESV says, everyone then. But this little phrase is important because it it both connects to what we've been talking about before with the false prophets and the false teachers, but then it also expands the application of this last warning and moves the focus off of them and onto us. He puts this warning, he addresses this warning to who? Everyone who hears these words, that's you and me. That's, that's church folk. So maybe you've been listening the past few weeks and thinking, okay, I get it. There's false teachers. There's false prophets. I need to avoid them. I need to not follow them. I need to be not like them. All right, I get it. That's the application. But today... Jesus now turns from warning you about false teachers and false prophets. And he says, there's there's yet another way to be deceived. 
There's yet another danger to your soul. And that's yourself. We have the ability to deceive ourselves. And so Jesus comes and he gives us a warning against a false sense of security, a false assurance. This last warning is addressed to professing Christians. It's meant to show us the difference between the true child of God and one who is just playing the game, one who thinks they are a child of God, but truly they are not. And so first I want to I look at this parable. I want to look at this illustration. I want to identify the pieces of this parable and then make application. <clears throat> All right, so... We've got two builders. We've got two houses. And it's important that we understand that these, these houses are not really distinguishable from the outside. These, I think we get the idea, maybe we've grown up in church and we've heard the, the song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. I'm not going to sing the whole song for you. But, uh, and, the, and the foolish man built his house upon the stone or the sand. And the rains came tumbling down, right? And we think of these two houses as being in two different locations with the house on the rock, maybe up on this big granite cliff, and it's just secure. It's like a castle up there. And then the house on the sand, which is just this little shack down on the beach. And we're like, of course. Of course that house is going to get washed away when the rains come. But to look at the parable that way would be to misunderstand the point. And this is not the only time that Jesus uses this illustration. Um, so it helps to look at the parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, to get a fuller understanding of what Jesus is illustrating here. So let's look real quickly at Luke, chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. I'll go ahead and read it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like, who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. So you see, the big difference between the wise man's house and the foolish man's house is not the location of the house, but the foundation of the house. So the houses probably look something more like this. Two houses that look exactly the same, side by side in the same location, and from the surface, you can't tell the difference between the two. But the reality is that one house is connected to the rock because of a foundation that connects it. So that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the wise man is the one who digs down deep and lays his foundation on the rock. So this warning is given to what we call the visible church. It's given to those who hear the words of Jesus. And the parable that Jesus gives is meant to illustrate the difference 
between two kinds of people. And those two kinds of people are the same two kinds of people that Jesus has been making distinguishments between, distinctions between, throughout this entire sermon. Right? The people that outwardly keep the law and the people that outwardly keep the law and inwardly keep the law. The people that pray publicly so to be noticed by people and the people who pray privately where only God sees them. The people who give to be noticed. The people who fast to be noticed. And the people who love God in the quiet of their own privacy. People that judge others without ever dealing with their own sin. See, Jesus has been making this distinction throughout the Sermon on the Mount, not between the religious and the irreligious, not between believers and pagans, but the distinction he's been making has been between religious hypocrites and true believers. People that are playing the religion game and people that have been transformed by the gospel. That's the difference. That's the comparison. The fool is the outwardly religious person. The wise man is the person who has truly been transformed by Jesus. Okay, so we understand who the two builders are and the two houses. That's the audience that Jesus is addressing here. But what about the rock? What is the rock? Well, very quickly, Jesus Jesus tells us what the rock is. He says, the rock is these words of mine. So the rock is is Christ and his commands, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. All right, so Christ and his commands are the rock. What's the foundation that Jesus tells us to build? The foundation, it's very clearly in verse 24, is doing his commands. Whoever hears these words of mine and does them, that's the wise man. So we know who the builders are. We know who the rock is. We know what the foundation is. Lastly, what is the storm? What does that represent? Well, in the context, Jesus has been talking about what? This whole time, the last few weeks. He's been talking about the final judgment, right? You go back up to verse 22. Jesus has been talking about the day of judgment. Go back a few more verses to verse 19 and the tree that does not bear fruit, is cut down, and what? It's thrown into the fire. Final judgment. You go back farther up, and he's talking about two paths. One leads to life. One leads to destruction and judgment. So here we see Jesus talking about a storm, and when it comes, it hits, and the person who has not built his house on the foundation of obeying Jesus is destroyed. Jesus is speaking to everyone who calls themselves his followers. Everyone who hears his words. He's speaking to the church and he's saying it's possible to hear my words, to enjoy them, to study them, to know them in your head, to have an emotional reaction to them, to be astonished at them, and still go to hell. Because those words never transformed your life. And that's how he ends his sermon. He says that, he gives that warning, and that's it. So what, what was the response of the people? 
Well, verse 28 and 29 tell us that they were astonished. And they weren't just astonished at what he said. They were astonished at how he said them. He said them with authority. And the authority that he appealed to was so different than anyone else. Okay, he wasn't getting up there like we're doing right now and exegeting scripture. He wasn't appealing to scholars or rabbis and what they thought about the Jewish law. He wasn't even appealing to the scripture. He wasn't even appealing to his own father's authority. He was saying these things in his own authority. And in doing so, he was proclaiming himself to be God. Did you notice last week that at the final judgment in verse 22, it says, many on that day will say to who? Not, it doesn't say to God the Father. It says to me. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. And here at the end of his sermon, his last application, his last parable is saying that because he is God, your eternal destiny depends on how you respond to his words. <clears throat> now, one of the reasons I think that this parable is so well known is because it's, it's not hard to understand, right? It, it makes sense. He's saying that it matters what you build your life on. If you build your life on something that cannot hold the weight of your soul, it's going to crumble, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a builder, but I know enough to understand the analogy, right? I think we all do. If you put something heavy on something that is soft and weak and unstable, it's going to come crashing down. And Jesus is saying that whoever hears my words and obeys them, that is the person who will stand in the storm. Jesus says, I am the solid rock that's strong enough to withhold the weight of your eternal soul. So the real question we have to ask is do you trust Jesus? Jesus is asking you, do you trust me? And we probably all want to say yes. Yes, of course, I trust Jesus. But Jesus is coming to us in this passage today and he's saying don't just Tell me you trust me with your words. Show me you trust me with your life. You see, I mean, you've probably heard this illustration, but let's say I have a chair. I can tell you all about that chair. I can tell you how great of a chair it is. I can tell you that I trust that chair with the weight of my body. But until I actually sit in that chair, I'm not really exercising trust it's not really making a practical difference in my life Jesus is saying show me that you trust me don't answer with your words answer with your life so what does the life of someone who is trusting in Christ look like what characterizes the life of the wise man or the wise woman Quickly, in the rest of our time, I, I, I want to look at three things, three marks of someone who truly trusts Jesus. Number one, someone who trusts Jesus joyfully 
obeys him. And this one's obvious, right? I mean, that's what it says. Jesus says, the person who hears these words of mine, and what? And does them. That's the wise person. Jesus is saying, I don't, I don't really care what you verbally claim. I don't care that you walk down the aisle once. I don't care that you raised your hand in Sunday school. I don't care what your family background is. I don't care what it says in your katepe. Do you obey me? If you're not daily seeking to obey Jesus, you're deceiving yourself. Now, I'm not saying you have to obey Jesus perfectly every day. That's impossible. But are you striving to? Are you repenting when you fall? Are you coming back and saying, Lord, help me to obey you better tomorrow? Jesus isn't teaching that the way to enter the kingdom of heaven is by good works of obedience. That would contradict the whole rest of the gospel message. What Jesus is saying, however, is that those who truly hear the gospel and profess faith in him will obey him. They will express their faith by what they do. And you see this all over the Bible, right? In 1 John, for example, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. He who says, I know him, but disobeys his commandments is a liar. Or we could look at James. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. We don't obey to be accepted by God. We are accepted by the grace of God, and we are transformed and enabled to obey. Those who truly have been transformed by God will show that transformation by the way that they live. Jesus loves you as you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you as you are. He transforms you into someone who loves to obey him. You want to know if you really trust God? Well, ask yourself, are you striving to obey him? Are you a hearer of God's word? Or are you a doer of God's word? Those who trust Jesus obey him. Number two, those who trust Jesus see him as their treasure, not as a tool to get some lesser treasure. You see, the fool always wants to take a shortcut. What do you think is easier? Building a house and digging down deep, laying a good foundation on the bedrock, or throwing up a house as fast as you can, don't do any digging, and move into the house as soon as you can. Which one's easier, right? The fool always wants to take the shortcut. They don't want to take time to dig and to lay a good foundation. They want spiritual shortcuts. They, they want to get the house up and enjoy it. Making it, they're, making it to last is not something they're thinking about. They want the external benefits of being seen as a Christian, but they don't want the discipline and suffering that comes with being a disciple. They use religion as a tool to get what they want, a means to an end, and that end is something other than Christ. They want all the blessing, none of the refining. They profess Christ, but they, they don't want to hear what he demands. They don't want to hear what that requires. They don't want to count the cost. The wise person, on the other hand, 
the person who truly trusts in Christ, he knows it's all worth it. They dig deep. They empty themselves of their self-righteousness. They empty themselves of self-sufficiency. They know that they have nothing but sin to offer their Lord. And they make the maximum effort to place the word of God in their heart that they might not sin. And they do it gladly because Christ is their treasure. And church, I I want you to think about this right now. Think about what we're going through with the coronavirus. Can, Can you see glimpses of God's grace even in this time? in this time of of quarantine and social distancing. I mean, we've been stripped of all the external benefits of religion, right? No one can see the nice clothes you have on right now. If you do, you're probably watching in your pajamas. But (laughs) no one can see that you got your hair done, right? No one can see if you're raising your hands during the worship. No one can see if you're putting money into the offering plate. It's just you and God. God is giving us the opportunity during this time to be alone with him and ask ourselves, when there's no one watching, when there's no social benefit to all of our religious activity, do I still love God? Is God enough? The wise man, the wise woman, the person who truly trusts Jesus is interested in a genuine love relationship with Christ, not a routine of spiritual activity. Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus is everything. So the wise person, the person who truly trusts Jesus, joyfully obeys him, treasures him, and thirdly, They're ready for the storm. This is the ultimate indicator in Jesus' parable of who is wise and who is a fool. Do they stand in the storm? Now, we've already seen that the, the storm is the final judgment. That day when everyone will stand before Christ in his glory and he will either say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, welcome home. Or he'll say to you, Depart from me. I never knew you. The wise builder, the person who trusts in Jesus, hears this warning and takes it seriously. They understand that this life is but a vapor. and They feel the weight of eternity and they want to be ready for that day. The fool, on the other hand, thinks he's safe. The fool's not worried about eternity. The fool thinks the house that he has constructed, the external good works that he's done, the religious activity that he's participated in. He thinks all that is enough. It'll save him. He's, He's good. The fool's not worried about his sin. The fool is not concerned that his righteousness may not be enough to live up to God's holy standard. The fool can't conceive that his sin is bad enough to damn him to hell for eternity. The wise person, on the other hand, realizes that without a connection to the rock, everything is hopeless. Here's another way to put it. The wise person knows the value and the weight of the human soul. 
I'll be honest, I've, I've had to ask myself almost every day the past few weeks, have I given more attention, more energy, more time, more worry, more anxiety towards getting prepared and thinking about the coronavirus than I have about the state of my own soul. Because here's, here's the reality. COVID-19 might infect some of us. COVID-19 might make some of us sick. COVID-19 might be fatal for some of us. But 100% of us are infected with the virus of sin. And sin has a 100% fatality rate. Except for those who have hidden themselves in Christ. Those who have cemented themselves by faith to the rock of ages. The wise builder is certain that they will weather the storm of judgment, not because their building is so great and strong, but because it is founded on Christ and his promises. And if that's true, then that will enable you to sacrificially love those who have not yet heard the warning. All right? I mean, just think about all the things that you've laid aside in these last few weeks to love your neighbors because of COVID-19, right? Maybe you've stopped going to work. Maybe, maybe, I mean, probably, most likely, you're losing money in some way. Maybe you're paying somebody who is not able to work for you, but because you love them and you want to care for them, you're providing for their needs in this difficult time. We've all made sacrifices to love our neighbor during this time. And that's good. We need to continue doing that. But how much more should we be willing to sacrifice in order to warn and protect our unbelieving neighbors and family and friends from the true storm that will come for all of us one day? The one who's truly trusting in Jesus will joyfully obey him will treasure him, and will be ready for the final storm. Friends, Jesus wants you to be wise. He wants you to stand in the storm. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given us this warning. So he's asking, do you trust me? Before you answer that question, I, I think... To be honest, you need to ask a question as well, an even more fundamental question. And that question is, is Jesus trustworthy? Jesus, you're asking me to trust you. I'm asking you, are you trustworthy, Jesus? And, of course, we all know the Sunday school answer to that question, right? Of course Jesus is trustworthy. And that's really easy to say when everything is going well. That's really easy to say when all your plans are coming together. That's really easy to say when you feel like you are in control. But I don't think any of us feel like we're in control right now. 
when we're confronted by the fact that we're not in control, how do we answer that question? Can God be trusted? The reality is we all live by faith in something. We're all resting, leaning, trusting in, building on something or someone. And if you lose faith in something or someone, you don't just stop having faith. Now you, you look for something or someone else to transfer that faith onto. And I think during this time, we're being shown that we've put our faith in, in some things that maybe weren't trustworthy. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's the political situation. Things that we thought we had control over, but we're realizing we don't. And, and faith that's lost doesn't just go away. We have to find somewhere to transfer it, or that faith will be transformed into fear and panic and anxiety. And that fear and anxiety will remain with you until you find something stable and sturdy to put the weight of it on. So getting back to the question, is Jesus trustworthy? And to be honest, if all we had was the Sermon on the Mount, I don't know that we could answer yes. I don't know that I would bet my eternal soul on this Jesus if all I had was the Sermon on the Mount. There's some amazing truth claims, amazing teachings, yes. But if that's all I had, I don't know if I would trust him. But church, that's not all we have. We have the entire word of God. We have the complete testimony concerning Jesus. We have hundreds of historically verifiable prophecies that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. We have the accounts of all the miraculous signs and wonders that Jesus performed. We have the the recording of his great and scandalous love to sinners and outcasts and the poor and the sick. And we have the good news. We have the gospel. Today's the beginning of what we call Passion Week. Today is Palm Sunday, the, the day that we traditionally celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the people celebrating with shouts of Hosanna, as the prophesied king made his triumphal entry into the holy city. But the scripture tells us that even though the crowds were cheering, Jesus' heart was troubled because he knew they didn't understand. They didn't understand why he had come. He came down to lay his life down for his people. He came to die for the sins of all those who would trust him. Jesus came to weather the storm of God's judgment against your sin so that you wouldn't have to be destroyed. He proved his trustworthiness with his own blood. And then three days later, he rose again, showing that not even death can stop him from keeping his promises. Can Jesus be trusted? The cross.
cross makes it radically clear that the God who gave his only son can be trusted no matter what. And if God can be trusted, then we don't have to live through this season in fear and anxiety. If God can be trusted, then we can know with certainty that come what may, we're ultimately going to be safe. Your faith is safe with Jesus. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. He loves you. Even in the shadow of death, he's there. He walks with you. You don't need to be afraid of evil anymore. You don't have to be afraid of sickness or separation or losing your job or even losing your life. Because we have a Savior who is able to keep us safe from all our enemies, from every storm, and even the final storm, and bring us safely to the other side. So again, I ask the question, do you trust Jesus?